Hey, welcome to episode nine of the Letterpress Digest podcast. Uh, in this episode, I talk with Steve Varvaro of the Southpaw Printers. Uh, while Steve is a veteran letterpress printer, we spend almost all of our time talking about one thing, and that's paper. Because, in fact, he has over 30 years' experience in the paper industry. Uh, his enthusiasm for paper itself will be quite obvious uh, to you as soon as we get started. But I also want to give you a forewarning. Our conversation gets into the nitty-gritty of the paper business and somewhat technical. We talk about the differences in text, cover, bond, different weights and thicknesses. And there's actually a whole lot of math, a lot more than I personally anticipated. Uh, I had absolutely no idea paper was such a complex business, uh, and I had never given it nearly as much consideration uh, until talking with Steve. Uh, but alas, don't fear, uh, Steve coaches us through it all. All right, so here we go. Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening. I am excited to welcome Steve Varvaro to the show. Welcome, Steve. Hey, how are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. So I am really excited to talk all things paper with you, but I'm wondering if you can start and tell us your background. Uh, sure. I, I uh, got in the paper business, in the fine paper business, in 1975, so I'm an old guy these days. And um, sort of fell into it because a friend of mine's father worked in the paper business. We worked for a company called Linden Meyer Paper Corporation. Um, they're still around today. They're still very, very strong, very good company. Um, and they're distributors of fine paper. So we represented, oh, 75, 80 different paper mills. And unfortunately, there aren't quite as many left these days. But we sold a selection of papers from all these different mills and at the time, um, digital printing wasn't as strong, and so color and texture of paper was a lot more important than it is even today. Mm -hmm. So I found myself in a career that I knew nothing about and turned mm -hmm. out that I would say was absolutely made for me. And I had a very successful career for a long time in, in the paper business. And as part of that, Someone introduced me to letterpress printing, and I got bit by the bug that all the rest of us have been bit by, <laughs> yep. and I've been printing ever since. Wow, yeah. Well, tell me more about your, your paper career. I mean, did you work for that same company for uh, all 35 years? or? No, I worked, um, I worked for them, and then I moved to a direct competitor after about 16 years, and I spent 19 years with them, and then ended up working for a Canadian paper mill manufacturer. Um, but I was always in the New York City metropolitan area. I knew most of the players in that marketplace, and okay. our okay. customers were printers and publishers. And so I had uh, a great ability to learn from my customers, but I was also doing this during the early 80s and into the 90s, right. visiting, visiting printers who were getting rid of all this old letterpress stuff because it was just taken up space in their in their shops oh, right. and so i sort of almost always had the inside track when something was gonna burst so to speak yeah and uh, it, it was lucky that way yeah well okay so as working at a distributor i guess 
you have experience with all different types of paper, right? I mean, you, you learn all the different brands and... It, that's exactly right. So we, re- like I say, representing over 75 mills um, and, and names that anyone who's listening to this would, would certainly recognize, but there's a lot of them that are now defunct yeah. that also made some beautiful papers, but Strathmore, Mohawk, and Nina, uh, Curtis Paper used to make some really cool papers. And it's just, it just it goes on and on, as well as imported grades that we, we also stocked and, and sold. Yeah, and you know, I, I will be honest, uh, and I'm sure most folks can uh, surmise as much by listening to the podcast. I'm, you know, I'm quite new to to all of this, and maybe just six months, even a year ago, well, maybe more, maybe about two years ago, I probably would have told you what's the deal with all the different kinds of paper. You know, like I, I see, I see thick paper and I see thin paper. What is what else is there? Uh, but there's it's very complex. There's all these like weights and calipers and finish. So I'm, I'm hoping we can talk a lot about that, but kind of start from the beginning. I mean, help us understand why there is such complexity um, with paper. Wow. Um, I think that, I think the answer to why there's so much complexity is because there are so many different uses for paper um, and the complexity to some degree. And it really comes down to this question of basis weight or weight. Um, has to do with the different kinds of papers. And so the the weight system that we use um, is derived from the kind of paper that it is and its use. And so we have different scales based on different kinds of papers. And I, I had asked you um, if you could get your hands on a, on a ream of copy paper mm-hmm. um, because that is sort of like the basic building block of where paper weights come from. Um, okay. I taught, I, for many years, I taught a, co- a course for the uh, Association of Graphic Communications um, about paper, all things paper. And I, one of the things I would start with was paper weights. And, and people used to tell me what I'm about to tell you was um, sexist and racist and uh, not politically correct. But I'm going to use it again anyway. So what we do with paper and why the weights are confusing is we use different scales. And the different scales are based on the kind of paper it is. And it would be akin to saying that Asian women are measured in feet. White males are measured in yards and black males are measured in, let's say, inches, and um, Caucasian females are, are uh, measured in meters, okay? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense, and it makes perfect sense that somebody who is six feet tall is 72 inches, two yards, and six feet, and they're all the same, mm-hmm. but there's different scales. And so what happens in the paper world is we sort of do that definite politically incorrect definition and say bond papers like that ream of copy paper that you have there or the watermarked Strathmore writing or the watermarked cranes that you got from your attorney, excuse me, your attorney, um, are all bond papers. And the scale that we use is based on a particular size, similar to saying yards as opposed to inches. And then the magazine that you picked up in the mail this afternoon mm-hmm. um, is, is a different kind of paper. And the yardstick we use for that 
is a size that is has a derivation having to do with uh, printing folios or or folded forms, Um, and that is 25 by 38, 25 inches by 38 inches. And then you move to the next most common one, which would be cover, and the scale for cover is 20 by 26, 20 inches by 26 inches. And so what happens is that you can have common weight but different designations of how that weight is because you're using a different scale. Okay, Does that so, make sense? Yeah. So we're so in terms of like a particularly for cover, we're talking when you say weight, you're talking the like 110 pound. Is that what you mean? Correct. That Correct. that Absolutely. designation. Okay. Right. Before we get into thickness, we need to talk about weight. Now we'll talk about thickness, um, and I know that uh, I, I threw it in there. You didn't bring it up, but. Before we get to that, we we should talk about weight. And so let's talk about a ream of copy paper. Okay. I'll try and make I'll try and make this as clear and simple as possible. Okay. So first of all, a ream is a count. It's 500 sheets. Okay. Just like a just like 12 is a dozen, 500 is a ream. So we could jokingly say I have a ream of cars, I have a ream of pencils, I have a ream of whatever hmm. batteries. Essentially, a ream refers to 500 sheets of paper. Okay. And it doesn't matter what size those sheets of paper are, just like it doesn't matter whether they're small eggs, medium eggs, or jumbo eggs, it's still a dozen eggs. Right. Okay. So the way paper works is the weight of the paper is the weight of one ream, 500 sheets, of its basic size. It sounds a little confusing, but let me go through it. So the basic size of seventeen by uh, of bond paper, your copier paper, is seventeen by twenty-two, seventeen inches by twenty-two inches, which, if you think about it, is actually four eight and a half elevens laid out. Two eight and a halves are um, seventeen, and two twenty uh, two elevens are twenty-two. Oh yeah. So if you had four reams of paper. Four reams of eight and a half, eleven copy paper sitting on your desk. Right. You you would have the equivalent of five hundred sheets of seventeen by twenty-two paper. Wow. So that would be really heavy then. Same okay. Thing. Well, it would be whatever it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that would okay. be that would be the and weight. That would be what weight it is. Okay. And in fact, if it's typical copy paper, your mm. most most very typical copy paper, it's a 20-pound bond by designation. So if you had those four packages, four reams, 8 and a half, 11, sitting on your desk of 20-pound, 500 sheets, 20-pound copy paper, you would say it's 20-pound copy paper. So if I have one package of 500, 8 and a half by 11, that would be about 5 pounds. Is that not right? about, not about, <laughs> not about. <laughs> okay, that that's would fair. be that would be five that would pounds. be five pounds in actual weight, and then Correct. with with Correct. the the full size. So add three more for the at full. Its, at its parent, at its parent size, seventeen twenty-two. Okay, actually, it's really its basic size. Basic. Okay. Seventeen seventeen twenty-two. It would therefore weigh twenty pounds. Is there a difference in basic size and parent sheets? Yes, there is. Okay. okay. 
the parent sheet is the whatever size sheet could be the size of this room that you cut down to make the pieces that you're going to print. The basic size is the ruler. It's the yardstick. Oh, okay. Okay. And okay. I mean, is so, that just, is it the basic size just kind of like known? Is it just decided by someone? Uh, it, be, all of these things go back, you know, in historic way. So the 1722 cuts down into four, eight and a half, elevens. When we move to book or text paper, it's 2538. And that folded down makes a 16 page folio. Oh, of, wow. of six, of six by, of six by nine. Okay. Okay. And then cover being 2026, uh, cuts down into, uh, four wraparound covers over a six by nine folio. I see. Okay. Okay. So let's so let's go back to the twenty pound bond paper okay. seventeen twenty two. It doesn't matter how thick it is. It doesn't matter what color it is. It doesn't matter what finish it has on it. It doesn't matter whether it's white, black, blue, green, or anything else. Mm -hmm. If it's five hundred pieces of seventeen by twenty two and it weighs 20 pounds, it's a 20-pound bond. Wow. Okay. I had, okay. I had no concept uh, that, of that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Very it okay. does. Okay. So, so now to take the next step. The next most common category is what is called offset papers, or really more really should be called book papers or text papers. And these are these is the, the category of the weights. And these would be things that were in a magazine, they're in a book, they're probably in the direct mail that you got today in the mail, uh, in many, many, many other things, okay? Mm -hmm. And that ruler, that yardstick is 25 by 38. And so 500 sheets of 25 by 38 goes on a scale, it weighs something, and that designates what weight it is. And the common weights are 50 pound, 60 pound, 70 pound, 80 pound, and 100 pound. Okay? And, okay. 50, and 100 pound is twice as heavy as... 50 pound. As 50 pound. <laughs> okay? But the ruler, right. just, as a, just as a yard is roughly three times the size of a foot... The 2538 ruler is a little bit, it's about two and a half times the size of the 1722 ruler. Right. So even okay, though it's bigger, 25 by 38, than the 17 by 22, even it's still the same 500 sheets at its, at its basic at size. Its basic size designates hmm. its, its weight. Okay. And so the confusion comes in if I said, what happens if I have 500 sheets of 20-pound 20, 20 copy paper, but the size sheet that I have is 2538? Okay. The area we're measuring is more than twice 1722, so it's at least 40. In fact, it's a little bit more. Lo and behold, it's 50. So actually, you want me to go? You want me to go nope, through that again? No, I think I got it. So text paper that is fifty pound is actually probably of similar uh, density. Is that the right word? That weight, uh, weight, 
Wait, wait. Similar weight. Similar weight. Okay, similar weight weight as bond paper would be uh, for, like, copy paper. Exactly. And so that's one of the reasons I asked if you had a ream of copy paper handy, because on that label, it might actually say 20 slash 50. Oh. Because if you measure it in one ruler, mm -hmm. it's 20 pounds. Same exact piece of paper. You measure it with the other ruler, and it's 50 pounds. So is the person 6 feet, 72 inches, or 2 yards tall? Makes no difference. Wow, this is really, this is far more complicated than I thought. Well, you asked why it was complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but this is great because I understand it now. But I had. So here's the way now, and I don't know if you were able to get the chart that I, uh, and you might want to put that chart up on the website at some point. Yes, I will. It'll be. Did you have that chart? Can you open it? Yes, yes, I do. Okay. So let me open it also. Does this make sense? Yes. Yeah, it does. Okay. I'm sorry that it took so long to get there. Okay. So you're looking at the chart, and what you see is bond papers. 17 by 22 is the basic size, so that's the ruler. And the common weights are 20, 24, 28, and 32. Mm-hmm. And if we took the same piece of paper and we measured a sheet in using the text ruler or the book ruler, the 25 by 38 inches, you'll see that 20 and 50 are on the same line because they are the same weight. Yep. And 24 and 60 are the same weight. And 28 and 70 are the same weight, and 32 and 80 are the same weight. And those four are the most common weights you'll find in bond papers, and that's why I've got them highlighted to show what they look like in text papers. Okay. Okay. Now we're gonna. Now you got you got that right. Yes, I do. Okay. Now we're gonna move to cover papers. Okay. Now we've got a new. Now we've got a new ruler. This ruler is 20 inches by 26 inches. We take 500 sheets of 20 by 26, we throw it on a scale, and it weighs something. And just let's just for argument's sake, it weighs 65 pounds. Okay? That's a 65-pound cover. Okay. It's the same weight as a 120-pound text Text. or a 47-pound bond. Wow. Different kind of paper, different ruler. Yeah. But the yeah. same, but the same weight. Wow, my mind is blown here. <laughs> Got it so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. It's gonna get it's gonna get better for you before it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, now, so now we look at cover, and the common weights are sixty-five pound, eighty pound, one hundred pound, commonly now one hundred and thirty pound, which is two sixty-five pound sheets pasted together, or frequently is two sixty-five pound sheets pasted together. Okay, 160-pound, which is frequently two 160-pound sheets, I'm sorry, two 80-pound covers pasted together, 200-pound cover, which is frequently two 100-pound sheets pasted together, and there are some sheets out there, 220 and and even higher. And these become pretty thick hunks of wood as they go down, as they go up in weight. Right. Okay, but you can see that a 120-pound text and a 65-pound cover are the same weight. Mm-hmm. Again, 
doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what finish, doesn't matter what texture, doesn't matter how thick it is, doesn't matter how thin just it is. Just weight. You're just talking weight. Weight. Period. Weight. Okay. Okay. And then the next category is index, and we won't belabor that one, but sometimes you'll go into staples and you say you want a cardstock and you'll see something that says 90 pound and you'll think, what's this got to do with 90 pound cover? It's really not because it's really the equivalent of 60 pound cover. Different ruler, different scale. Okay. Okay. Now, let's go to these Europeans who know how to, know how to do this right. <laughs> and that's where, the me- that's where the metric comes in. Okay. Okay. And in the metric system, they weigh basically one sheet, one square meter in size. What's that, like 36, 39 inches, something like that? Right? Mm-hmm. And what it weighs is what it weighs. So it's either 75 grams or 90 grams or 162 grams. If the number's higher, the weight is higher. Period. Period. Okay. One scale, one size, doesn't matter what kind of paper it is, doesn't matter what color it is, doesn't matter anything, everybody uses the same scale. If you see a, a metric measurement, grams per square meter, and you see two numbers and one's higher than the other, you know the higher one's heavier. Mm-hmm. Okay? So now that we said that, and you look at the gram weight, the gramage of 80-pound cover, it's a 218 grams per square meter cover mm-hmm. okay and you look at an 80 pound text it's a 120 grams per square meter so what that tells you the, the 120 versus the 218 is that the 80 pound cover is almost twice as heavy as an 80 pound text right are they okay well let me ask you this for this metric weight are they what size paper are they weighing a one square meter. Just oh oh right, just one square meter. So they're not weighing the basic size of the U.S. Yeah, that, that okay. is their basic. That is their basic. It's and okay. it's not it's not five hundred sheets. It's not a ream. It's one sheet. One sheet. That size. Got how it. many grams? Bang, you're done. So anytime you're looking at metric measurements, when you see a higher number, the sheet is heavier. Which is not def- not necessarily the case with the U.S. basis. Right. But if you're in the cover world, and that's where you and I started a conversation a couple of weeks ago, if you see 200-pound cover versus 100-pound cover, you know that 200-pound cover is twice as heavy as 100-pound cover. Right, because we're talking the same. Okay. But as soon as you mention text, it throws everything off. Mm-hmm. To... Wow, yeah. The U.S. Uh, system seems far more complicated than the... It is. Oh it, oh, it definitely. It gets a little bit worse when you start talking about per thousand sheets and, and how much per pound and everything else, but we won't go into any of that. Okay. However, what I, the next thing I'd like to talk about is thickness. Right. Well, that's, the, that's sort of the next... Uh... And, and that may be most important to letterpress printers. How thick is the sheet that I'm printing on? Right. Okay. And, and you can pretty much say, not necessarily, but you can pretty much say that if it's heavier, it's thicker. It's thicker, right. But you can't always say that. And my best example of that, again, might be a little bit politically incorrect, but my, my thing has always been like Mike Tyson and, let's say, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Maybe I'm dating myself by bringing him up. <laughs> but um, Mike Tyson and Kareem, and, and let's just say they both weigh 250 pounds. 
okay? But one is appreciably taller than the other, mm-hmm. which means one is also much denser than the other. Right. And then the Mike Tyson example would be that his body is more compact and it's much denser, and the tall basketball player's body is more elongated and quite as dense. Mm-hmm. So you could have... Just in, just like in paper, you could have two sheets of paper of similar weight, but considerably different thickness. Mm-hmm. Right, because I mean, in that case, in your example, Mike Tyson is the thicker paper, but they are the exactly. same weight. No, he's not thicker. He's the denser. Denser. Okay. The taller one would be, you know, uh, higher caliber. Right. Caliper. Okay. Not not you know you. you Tyson would be the more compact. Oh, okay. The ty- right, where the, the basketball player would, in a sense, be thicker. Okay. Because he, he would take up more space. Oh, right. Right, right? I see. Yes. It's a, sort of look at it that way. I mean, maybe that's, a bad, maybe that's a bad comparison. So you can have two sheets of similar weight, different thickness. And the things that make them different are what kind of fiber they're made out of, um, you know, what's inside, and, and most importantly, how much they've been compressed in the manufacturing process. And that compression is something called calendaring, where paper goes under steel rollers and gets smoothed out. And the more it gets smoothed out, the harder and smoother the surface is, and the thinner the sheet is. Think pie crust. The more you, The more you roll out a pie crust right the yeah. thinner it gets yeah the weight hasn't gone the weight hasn't gone any place but the pie crust has gotten thinner right and it's gotten smoother right okay what happens though is that those fibers get compacted they get denser they get harder they get um uh, and 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 when ink sits on them it doesn't drain as well because you're no longer draining into a sponge. Mm-hmm. You're draining into a, a, a hard, polished uh, substrate. Right. Yeah. Does so make I mean, sense? yeah. So yeah. So I mean, the less calendaring, right? The more, in a sense, fluffy, fluffy it might be. The more, um, maybe... the, the more calendaring, the less fluffy it would be. Yeah. Okay. And, and the harder and less soft it would be. So yep. the thing that yep. makes Letra and Savoy and these beautiful cotton papers that, that letterpress printers love to print on is this wonderful texture. In the paper business, we call it hand. Um, this, this just absolutely, you, you feel it and you're like, oh, my God, this stuff is beautiful. And you just know it's beautiful. And, of course, it prints really nice, and it takes a deep impression, which, of course, is the letterpress vogue these days, and we can talk about that as well. But um, people like to get into the sheet. They like that deep etch. Um, And these thicker um, cotton papers um, have not been compressed at the mill when they're manufactured, and so they allow us to go in and give them a good sock. Um, Conversely, if you print on a smooth or a super smooth cover, let's say Cougar super smooth or uh, Mohawk super fine, super smooth. Um, the super fine is an absolutely wonderful piece of paper, but it's really engineered for an offset printing press. And the goal is to have the ink sit up on the surface and for the printer 
the offset printer to lay down as smooth a dot as he possibly can so that he gets dot fidelity, which is very different from what we're trying to achieve in letterpress, or at least today's aesthetic, which is that deep impression. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, I'm just, so one of the things I'm thinking about, um, we have talked about the weights of all of these different kinds of papers, but what I'm wondering is what makes bond different from text, different from cover, different from index? That's a great question. That's a terrific question. Okay. What makes them different, again, is their use. And there isn't as much difference today as there used to be. There's almost no discernible difference between that piece of copy paper, 20-pound bond, and a 50-pound offset that is used um, for the local uh, coupons that, that end up in a value pack mailer. Okay? Mm-hmm. Almost no difference whatsoever. But traditionally... What goes into a bond paper is a different mixture of fibers, a different mixture of hardwood and softwood. Um, Softwood being pine trees, um, hardwoods being your oaks and your, um, not aspen, um, maples, don't go wide. I'm I'm drawing a blank of um, ash. I'm drawing a blank on the the other trees. Poplar, birch. Poplar, birch, right, exactly. Okay. that would go into that would go into papers, and so the mixture of what fibers went in creates different print characteristics, folding characteristics, and really traditionally in bond papers, erasability, which is not something we ever think about today. I mean, people don't even know whiteout; forget erasers. Um, so, uh, erasability was one of the factors that went into bond papers, and they'd have a fairly hard surface. It also needed to respond to typewriters. Um, as, as differently than uh, you know when these things were created, than than to either letterpress or to um, to offset presses. Right. So, um, cover stock, as an example, has and it sounds crazy because you want covers to be strong, but it has more softwood fiber, which is actually a longer fiber, longer, skinnier fiber. And it gives more and it stretches more. So it, it adds more plasticity. Plasticity might be the wrong word because it makes you think plastic, but it, it, it more flexibility. Yeah, okay. And so a cover stock, which is going to be scored and folded and opened and closed and opened and closed, needs to have the strength of those fibers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and if you read the Letra... Um, Swatch book or any of the promotional materials. I think they even refer to uh, premium, strong, durable, elegant. You know, uh, and cotton fibers more than anything else are all of those things. So cotton fibers are very strong. They're very flexible. They're very resilient. And so a cotton fiber paper like Letra oh, lends itself beautifully to letterpress because of the the nature of the fibers but it also is terrific for embossing because the fibers will stretch and they'll work they'll work with you as opposed to being hard and dense and compact right and and i suppose and i'm guessing that for you know the bond text cover index the different the different paper manufacturer would have their own special sauce recipe for each of those and that would make them distinct okay absolutely and and not just within the not just within the mill, 
but also within the various grade lines, because many of these mills make various kinds of papers and, and in, right across the categories. So in some cases, you could say that um, the cover is just the heavier version of the text, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly true because the mixture of fibers inside would be a little bit different. Okay. And so when you're talking about cotton versus wood, right? So obviously cotton right. offers that soft texture. And I'm personally, I'm from Mississippi. So, you know, Mississippi's a, grows a lot yeah. of cotton and has for a long time. You know, I've seen cotton uh, as it's growing, but I'm just curious what what would go into, aside from it being good for letterpress, what would go into someone's thought process deciding wood fiber versus cotton paper? For, for a letterpress printer? Well, I, I think I get it for, for letterpress, right? Because cotton oh, would be for, a lot softer. But just in oh, general. for other? Yeah. For, for In general, I think if we go back and we look at the Crane's uh, world of Crane's Fine Station or even Crane's um, letterheads from your, um, uh, you, you know, you've got a letter from your lawyer and it's on Crane's. Um, the The genesis of 100% cotton fiber paper was... It was strong, it was durable, it was long-lasting. Most papers are acid-free today or buffered to be acid-free, so, you know, we really don't have to worry so much about long-lasting. But those were the attributes that made these papers fine papers, that they were made from from rag paper. Is it is it better for the environment? I guess for to have well, now you're now you're now you're opening up. A whole well, I guess that's a, maybe that's a political question more so. But uh, you know, I, I guess using the, the, cotton might be less intrusive. Yeah, the the cotton the cotton that is used for um, is what they refer to as cotton linters. Um, it's really a byproduct of making cotton. Oh, okay. Um, oh, and and so in in the respect of saving trees uh yeah it's 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 much more favorable from that from that standpoint however um it's really apples and oranges in in terms of an environmental environment i mean i worked for a canadian paper mill that made 100 percent recycled paper and our whole gig was about you know reuse and recycle and, and energy sources and everything else um the the, the cotton Cotton is promoted as environmentally friendly, but your typical cotton sheet costs two to three times what your uh, typical white copier paper or... Yeah. Actually, versus copy paper, it's five or six times. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's really interesting. Um, so, so we... Oh, go ahead. We've gone, we've gone, we've gone through a lot. And, yeah. and so yeah. the, the point that I... The last point that I think we should make because of... For, for the letterpress crowd is, is that as weight goes up, caliper thickness typically goes up, okay? Depending on how much the sheet's been calendared, depending on the texture of the sheet, the visual feel of the sheet, um, they are not absolutely correlated. They're closely correlated. So you could, in fact, have one mill that makes a 100-pound cover in a open finish, uh, a vellumy finish, um, and you could have another that makes a hundred and thirty pound cover, as an example, in a smooth finish. And even though the hundred pound sheet is lighter, it might be thicker because it hasn't been calendared down. Right. Okay. So, 
So my word to letterpress printers and my word to anybody who's ever buying paper is buy what you like, print what you like, and print according to what the design calls for in terms of how this end piece is supposed to look and feel. So that the paper, and this has always been my mantra, that the paper really needs to complement the design and stealing something out of Strathmore's old uh, marketing, paper is part of the picture. Yeah. And that the paper, as in my view, paper is as much a part of the design of the piece as the actual artwork and the ink and the techniques that you use to print it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and so. Funny. You're so you're so clearly passionate about paper. I would hate to walk in an a, a Office Depot with you, you know, and <laughs> pull up a, <laughs> some paper. So, all right. So, there is one other thing I'd like you That's to funny. do. Have you got two yeah. pieces of paper in your in your reach, any place? And I I'll do, say this yeah. to anybody who might be listening. Okay, hold those two pieces of paper side by side, and up to the light so that you can look through them. Okay. And and what you'll see is a difference in sort of this cloudiness and fuzziness and clumpy, cloudy kind of thing. And that's called formation. And depending on what you're looking at, as you go up in quality of papers, that cloudiness will disappear. And when you have a piece of copy paper in your hand and you have a piece of like Mohawk Superfine in your hand, a real quality sheet, the superfine will look clean as can be. You'll see very, very little cloudiness, very, very lumpiness, and a very, very consistent um, sheet. Mm-hmm. So the better the sheet, the better the formation, and that means the cleaner the sheet is internally. Yeah, I'm looking at this, and the cloudiness is not consistent sheet to sheet, which I don't suppose it would be, right? But Well, if you're looking at two different sheets. However, like a fingerprint, if you take two sheets out of a ream of paper, they better they better better head both look very similar. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But when you compare any two sheets, and it really doesn't matter what quality they are, even if it's two different copy papers from two different mills, you will see a difference in the formation. And the cleaner that is, the better that sheet's going to print under any printing um, technique. It's just generally higher quality. It's higher quality because it is more internally consistent. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, do you have in your shop, everybody that's listening, you know, somewhere in your shop you've got some nice pieces of paper. Yes. Okay, so I challenge everybody to, to do the test, put them up against the window, hold okay. them up to the light side by side, and try and find that sheet in your shop that really is a good piece of paper. Hmm. Okay. And when you see okay. it visually like this, you'll know it. You'll know, yeah. It makes a lot more sense. And you'll, rec- and you'll recognize formation. Okay. Formation. Okay. Okay. Well, so a couple of things you have mentioned, uh, finishes coating hard and soft can you talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about those things and sure paper okay so if we think about letra it's a very open surface 
Um, it's not particularly smooth. It's got a little bit of, you'd actually hear it. You run your, fing- your fingers across it, you'll actually hear it. Um, and it hasn't been calendared much at all, and it's considered a fairly open surface. Um, as you go up the progression of smoother and smoother sheets to things that um, would be considered smooth or super smooth, again, more in the commercial world, less in the letterpress world, um, that, that texture gets smoother and smoother, the sheet gets harder and harder. One of the things that a lot of mills do, and, and um, Nina does a lot of this, Mohawk not so much anymore, um, are embossed patterns. And that could be linen, and that could be a, a, an imitation rubber roll felt pattern, because there is such a thing as a real felt. Um, the, uh, so there, there, there are a bunch of new mechanical patterns. There's some wood grain patterns that, that Nina has introduced. There's... Um, there are linear patterns. There's something called the carnival groove, or used to be called carnival groove. Mm-hmm. Um, Nina has something called columns. Um, uh, Mohawk uh, has something called hopsack that looks like rough linen texture, almost like a uh, hopsack bag. Um, and these are embossed. These are patterns that are embossed into the um, the surface of the paper. Um, they add visual the hand they had texture tactile texture but they also had visual texture to the to the piece again i would use those in my printing i would always take advantage of the various textures to i printed something for a basketball thing one time and i used something that had a basketball like leather hmm. texture to it yeah so yeah. um i always i would always try and incorporate features of the paper in my uh, in my designs and my look and so on and so forth so forth um, and the other thing is is that there 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 is a resurgence although there are a lot fewer mills there has been in the last year or so a resurgence in some really really interesting papers um, because I think more of the mills are now importing sheets from farm mills and marketing them um, uh, domestically even though they're not ma- manufactured domestically. There's a lot of interesting stuff out there, and there are a lot of good sources out there for people to, to get, um, get their hands on relatively small quantities and relatively manageable sizes. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to talk about some yeah, of the people absolutely. that yeah, I think sure. are, are good places to go. Um, one, of, one of the places that I've relied on a lot, especially for unique envelopes and a lot of different variety in envelopes, is a company called Envelopes.com. That that name can't get any easier. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't think I'll get lost on that right. one. Right. <laughs> um, out of Chicago with a lot of brand names, a lot of envelopes, and a lot of sizes, and, and a lot of help is uh, the paper mill store. Mm, I find, think that's, you, that's where we get uh, our paper. Yeah, they're good people. Um, there's a, uh, a company um, called Astro Converters. And let's see what their website is. I think it's just astropaper.com. All different size envelopes, lots of unique size envelopes, and an incredible selection of foreign and domestic papers. Again, and they they gear themselves to the small the small guys, um, where the typical veritives used to be Expedex and Unisource, and the, you know the big names. They want to sell skids and skids of paper to commercial printers who are going to burn through the stuff like water. Right. The typical letterpress guy is buying a couple of hundred sheets of 12 by 19 at best. 
and he needs the matching envelopes to go with it. And these these people do those things. Um, one of my favorites is uh, Riche Paper, and they're the guys that do Savoy, a guy named Duke Riche, um, and they are R-E-I-C-H-P-A-P-E-R, Riche Paper. They're based out of Brooklyn, nicest people you ever want to talk to, envelope sheets, and Savoy prints like a million dollars. Um, Legion Paper, great source for things like Color Plan and some of those other um, imported papers. Legion has a huge, huge selection of uh, unique and cotton content paper. Um, they'll work with you know smaller guys. Um, they're going to take you to from from you know the medium end to the absolute highest end. So if mm-hmm. somebody's got the need for um, really, really, really different, really, really expensive, and really, really fussy. Um, Legion Papers always got the answer. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think they have they and Reach Paper. I think we got a like sample pack, letterpress sample pack mm-hmm. from from both of mm-hmm. them. Okay, um, but Legion Legion takes it. Uh, Reach is wonderful. Legion takes it to a completely different level. Okay. Okay. Only because. Um, you know, that's where they live. Reach's, uh, let's say, niche, he's got uh, six or eight different sheets. They're his sheets. They're made specifically for him. He markets them. He does a wonderful job. Um, these guys are, are distributors bringing it in from, uh, Legion's distributor bringing it in from all over the place. And, and you know, really fancy art papers, heavyweight board. I mean, you name it, they've got it. But they're, at the, they're sort of the different end of the spectrum. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other the other two places that I go for paper regularly are both Nina and Mohawk, and they both have websites where people can buy manageable sizes twelve by eighteen or twelve and a half nineteen or eight and a half eleven and matching envelopes to go with it at reasonable prices in reasonable quantities. Yeah, and I'll, I'll also mention they both have sample packs too. When we got uh, sample okay. packs from Nina and from from Mohawk, I think. I th- although I think we got the Mohawk sample from Legion. I don't remember okay. exactly. It's, po- it's, po- it's very possible. Yeah. Legion Legion is a distributor. And again, Reich is a marketer who has his own brands. He doesn't manufacture them, but he hasn't manufactured for him. Right. Um, yeah. Just... And I'll say with in, with regard to the sample packs for for us, you know, we're not printing um, hundreds of jobs every day or every week or even every month. Uh, right, you for know, most so of like, us, are a hobby printer. We're lucky right, if we're going to do right. one job a week. Yeah, and and like for for me, I have you know, as I'm learning about paper, I want to try and I want to feel these different types of papers and experiment with them and print on them. But I also don't need a you know a parent sheet twenty six by. 40 or 40. you know right. of uh and now you know where 2640 comes from i it's do twice yeah, it's 26 just, standard size that's right so 250 sheets of those yeah i got it all right so it. um yeah 250 sheets of 2640 on the scale would let's just say weighs 80 pounds it's an 80 pound cover yep right okay so um so I did, I did, there was something else. I, I don't want to forget. One of the great resources for paper for our our world is your local printer. He's got leftover stuff all over his shop that he's more than happy to cut down and sell to you for a few dollars or if nothing more than the tip that you're going to give his cutter. 
And so um, I think one of your other uh, guests said, make friends with your local printer. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, they, they can be a valuable resource, and once you're their friend, they'll be happy to share all kinds of good stuff with you. Yeah, I totally agree. We've been, um, we've definitely done that and, and, uh, it has, uh, worked out quite well for us. We've got a great relationship with a local printer and it, uh, is fantastic. Um, one, one thing I wanted to ask you about that we have discovered and we'd heard about, but you know, we've now experienced it is the grain and particularly when I was you're, thinking about that a minute ago. <laughs> yeah. When you're, so we, you know, we just recently we had a baby and we, you know, before that, you know, we printed little thank you notes. My wife designed them and, um, and they're folding cards. And so I just, you know, I took them, I we printed them. I took them to our the print shop and we, you know, and I cut them, cut them all up and I brought them home and start folding on them. And I think, Oh no, I don't, they're I didn't even crack, pay attention. They're cracking, like, they're cracking like crazy. Yes. I didn't pay attention to the grain. And of course right. they're cracking, you know, and I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, it, our friends and our family, they don't know the difference and it's, it's hard to, you know, but we know, but you know, we, we live with it for that. But so I'm glad that you ta- you asked about grain because it's, it is a critical factor. So when paper is made on a modern paper machine, um, it's a slurry or they call it furnish. It's a mixture of water and fiber, other additives, colored dyes that are uh, in, a, in a device uh, they call a head box that meters out the furnish or the water onto a moving screen. The moving screen is a very fine screen. And it travels on a on a loop similar to the way a tank tread or a caterpillar tread on a on a bulldozer would mm, okay. would move forward in a continuous loop. So right. when the water hits the screen, it drains out, and at the end of the screen, which might be twenty thirty feet long, it's about sixty five percent water, and then it moves on to a series of felts, and in the felts it gets squeezed and it gets dried out. At the end of the machine, it's about five percent water and. 95% uh, pulp. So what happens is because of the movement of the screen and the movement of the water and the momentum, um, like logs flowing down a river, the fibers tend to align. And they align in the direction of the, the flow of the machine. And that creates grain. So, oh, I see. I see. So, so as it's like, as the the movement, the, it's almost like the wind, but not wind. It's kind of like just... That, that X, uh, very good. Uh, like like the wind pushing logs down a river or something like that. They, they align in the direction of a flow. Okay? So embedded in the very nature of that sheet, at any point, those fibers are mostly aligned in one particular direction. And that's grain. I see. So folding yeah. against the grain is going to cause it. So cause picture, fibers. picture. So correct. So picture the fibers as microscopic trees, hmm. all lined up in a particular direction. And when you try and fold against them, they want to crack. Yeah. And if you fold parallel to them, they'll fold nicely. So how do you determine the grain? Uh, the easiest way, especially in a coverweight paper, is you just roll it in your hands, and you'll feel which way the stiffness is. Mm-hmm. So the way that folds easier, okay, the grain will be parallel to the fold. And if you turn the sheet 90 degrees and you 
turn the sheet the other way. If it's resisting you, the grain is what we would refer to as cross grain or in the direction that um, that it is. Okay. Okay. So when a now let's go back to parent sheets. Okay. So when a parent sheet is cut coming off the roll, depending on the way it's being cut, it can either be long grain or short grain because you can cut it. You can't change the fibers. They're embedded. They're in there for good. And let's just say that they cut it 26 inches by 40 inches and that they take the 40 inches parallel to the grain. So when you cut that sheet down, no matter what you do, you can't change the directions of the fibers in that sheet because they are baked into the cake, so to speak. Yep. But you can cut, let's see, uh, you can cut a sheet 10 inches long by 13 inches across and have it always be, and, and take the 10s out of the 40, four 10s out of the 40, it will always be grain 10. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the sheet size might be 13 by 10. The grain is going to be 10. And it's running lengthwise of the 13. And it's running along the, it's running, the grain is running along the 10-inch way, parallel to the 10-inch way. Okay. Right? If you take four 10s out of the 40. Oh, I see. Yep. Okay. Right. However, you could also take 13 three times out of the 40 for 39 inches. Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And two 10s out of the 26. And you would have a sheet that is 10 by 13, grain 13. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's funny. You um, you doing this math makes me reminds me um, something else I wanted to ask you about is paper math. Um, cutting out of parent sheets the sizes that you want or need and calculating you know the least amount of waste possible. Um, right. I found that very difficult when we, you know, I got I got out a notebook. I started sketching. You know, twenty six by forty. And like, okay, That's the way to do it, though. Yeah. Okay. And I did it for forty years. So, <laughs> do you usually so, leave a a buffer on on the outer edge to account for potential well, damage? And I, I, I do. Yeah. Ideally, what you'd want to do, if you're not going to trim the sheet after you print it, ideally, what you'd like to do is um, whoever's cutting it for you. I think you said you got a cutter. We we have access to a cutter. It's not ours. Okay. All right, so, so ideally what you'd like to do is trim the sheet four sides or at least make sure you do a, you know, a, what they refer to as a back trim. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, you're lucky enough to use the mill cut sides for, for two of your edges, right? Mm-hmm. You guys say a guide and gripper in terms of putting it in the cutter. Right. Um, you, you always want, you, what you want is the sheet from the back side of the blade. Yes, back the cut. Yes. Okay. So, right. so right. when you cut a sheet, let's say you cut a sheet. Let's just take an eight and a half, eleven, and let's say you want to cut that to um, four by no five five by uh, eight and a half or five by eight. Mm-hmm. Okay. You put it in. You make one cut. 
you, you get the one the one piece, and then you got to flip the other 190 180 degrees around and take a back take a trim, because the front of the guillotine blade leaves it a little bit ragged, and ideally you would like to have a clean cut on the on all edges. Yeah. If you can, sometimes you know the paper you have and the size that you need, and you just got to go with the flow and right. give it your best shot. Yeah, the um, I've I had noticed that the last time we cut this big project, the the back cut, uh, I guess, or, or yeah, the what kind of what kind of paper was it? Um, it was uh, what kind was it? Letra. It was Letra. Yeah. yeah all right. So Letra is a whole, you know, it's it's its home whole Megillah on its own. It, there's so much compressibility in Letra that a lot of people end up marring the sheet when they bring the clamp down. Yeah. I had, to, so I had to add like three sheets of just basic paper on top and then a couple right. on or the bottom. Or even better, even better, some chipboard top and bottom. You should always cut with chipboard on the bottom anyway. Yeah, okay. Um, and you might want to put a couple of sheets of chipboard on the top because the clamp's going to mar it. But even then, Letra is going to compress a lot. Mm-hmm. Again, this sort of this fluffiness that, that makes it so wonderful. Um, you, excuse me, um, Say. Uh, you don't want to cut tall lips of Letra. Yeah. Depending on how, depending on what weight stock you're using, you 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 would probably want to limit it to an inch or less each time you cut it. Okay. So that you can really get a good bite. If you if you're cutting, you know, a couple hundred sheets of Letra at a time, you're cutting too much. Too much, yeah. Huh. Well, fantastic. Hey, look, I wanted you. Can you talk a little bit about your shop, Southpaw Printers, and also uh, the Westchester Chapel? I think you are a member of. So if you could talk about yeah. both of those. So um, I, I don't want to. We've taken a lot of time. I don't want to spend too much time on my shop. I've got four presses. I've got an eight by twelve new style CMP that's one hundred and two years old that uh, I've had for thirty something years. Um, I've got a pilot that's got some. Um, uh, Provence, Proven- Provenance, I think is what it's called because of its history and who, who it belonged to. Um, I've got an old C&P flatbed uh, proof press. And then three years ago, I was lucky enough to get a uh, universal one that was in horrific shape that I spent an enormous amount of time restoring. And the thing is just absolutely incredible. Um, I've got about 200 cases of hand type and wow. God knows how many cuts I've collected over the years. And uh, I've developed my own website. I've been trying to sell some of my stuff, but really it's just a hobby. It's called Southpaw Printers okay. um, or South, com. The name comes from the fact that my wife and I are both lefties. Hmm. Um, one of the cool things that we've done through the years is we always had the axiom, uh, don't ask me to print for you, come and print yourself. And so with that, I've had over 50 people over the years come and print with me um it takes a lot longer to print with somebody than it does to print for somebody but it's much more gratifying to have them do the do everything yeah and um i've got a special insurance policy so that god forbid Hmm. somebody loses a finger uh but it's really it's really been a lot of fun for me to uh, and and any number of those people including howie who we talked about earlier um decided to get into it themselves and get their own presses right yeah, well, and and Howie, by you mentioned uh, Howie Gilbert, is that right? I think of, that's correct. Yeah, Westchester. Yep. I was telling him before we 
started recording the um when i picked up our vandercook i swung by uh the letterpress things shop uh and they at that the weekend i was there was the howie gilbert swoop which uh i think he had passed away and you and john had uh helped collect a lot of his things and, and put them in john's shop to to sell so yeah and that, of course that worked i think that worked out pretty well for for everybody in, involved now the other thing about howie is he became part of this group called the westchester chapel and the westchester chapel is not religious by any means uh if anything we're hardly <laughs> far from it um it's a group of hobby printers the group was established in 1960 um and what it is is a bunch of people who have their own presses, and we get together every six to eight weeks or so and have a meeting and tell tall tales. And, um, <laughs> and the one big thing that we do, we have our Ways Goose every December. We have a great party, and then we um, we print a calendar. And uh, six by nine, everybody gets assigned the, the cover, the colophon, which lists the names of the printers, or a particular month, and everybody does whatever they want, whatever style they want, whatever paper they want, and we get together at the Ways Goose, we collate our calendars, and everybody goes home with about 20 calendars, and the collection is, is really pretty interesting. And I've personally been working on a website that will launch within the next two months um, that has all of the calendars up and uh, in a searchable format so that people can check out who's who and who's what and who did what which month and it's it's been it's been a lot of fun excellent yeah that's very cool i will uh, i'll be sure to have links to all of that on the show notes page uh so folks okay. can find that very easily steve thank you so much for taking the time this was highly educational i learned so much about paper uh, and i can tell you exactly what the weight of a paper means now. <laughs> Don't challenge yeah, me, people at, information. at Office Depot. I will know. Yeah, what, do the, what, do, what do the kids say? TMI? Too much information? <laughs> TMI. <laughs> uh, no, this was very helpful. Thank you so much for taking the All time, All right. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Stay in touch. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found that as educational as I did. Uh, to find links to some of the references made throughout our conversation, you can visit the show notes page for this episode. That's at letterpressdigest.com forward slash nine. Uh, and the document that Steve mentioned uh, as well while we were um, we were talking, referencing the different types, the text, cover, uh, and their respective weights and basic size uh, is also there on the show notes page. Uh, it's a relatively simple but very useful reference. Uh, and I'll also include links to where we got all of our sample packs uh, in case that's helpful for you. Uh, and I also wanted to note, we mentioned several paper brands or I guess manufacturers um, or places you can find it during our discussion. But the list we discussed was definitely not all-inclusive. Uh, even before my wife and I got into letterpress, she was selling prints for which she uh, has used French paper from the very beginning. Um, their box packaging designs are also totally on point. You'll find yourself wanting to buy more just to have those um, more of those boxes on hand. Uh, we've also used Red River Paper. They provide printer profiles so that your printer more readily translates the color on screen uh, to the actual paper, which is immensely helpful uh, the more you get get into this and experiment. And then we also got a few samples of Gmund, uh, which is a German paper company who makes letterpress-specific paper. And there are more, right? Uh, big picture, there are a lot of different paper types and, and places to find them all. Uh, so I suggest tracking down as many samples as you can and hone in on the ones that best suit your project or need. 
Uh, if you have questions or thoughts about the podcast, you can always get in touch with me through the website or social media. I obviously love to talk to people and I'm always happy to hear from listeners. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll be back in two weeks.